If you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6, which is the fourth book in the Bible. So if you're not sure where Numbers is, just start at the beginning and you'll get there pretty quickly. Uh, Numbers chapter 6. We'll be in Numbers uh, this Sunday. Um, next Sunday, Sean Martin is going to be preaching for us. I'm not sure where he'll, where he'll be yet, but I'll let you know when I know. Uh, and then, Lord willing, two Sundays from now, we will begin a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, and that is why we're doing our fellowship in the Word in the Gospel of John on this coming Saturday from 9 to 2. I told you, I'd say it again, uh, you should come to Fellowship of the Word. Uh, if you are youth, if you, if you read the Scriptures and you long to know the Scriptures better and how to read the Scriptures, this is just a great time to gather around the Word together. Um, if you are uh, an adult, anyone who wants to come, come and participate in this. Uh, it's, there's, it's always a blessing. It's always a long day. And we're tired by the time we're done, but um, it's a good tired where we feel like we have invested ourselves in knowing the scriptures better. And so I encourage you to come. And if you are coming, coming, I encourage you to let me know so that we can not only feast on the word, but that I can have enough food for you uh, when lunchtime comes. But for today, our, our text is Numbers chapter 6, and we'll be in verses 22 through 27. And I want to begin with this question, what is a blessing? What is a blessing? If we were sitting around the potluck tables, we could have a, a good discussion about this, and I think we'd probably get to an answer uh, pretty quickly. Um, I imagine that if we talked about it enough, some, the phrase, um, counting your blessings, would probably come up which simply means to remember and to ponder on all the goodness that we know in our lives, which means that a blessing could simply refer to something or anything good in our lives. That's a blessing. Related to that, we can think about giving someone a blessing or pronouncing a blessing on someone, which is a little bit more of what I'd like to focus on today. Uh, giving someone a blessing may seem like a a strange practice to us, but actually we have blessings that we commonly use every day. We just don't really think about them in those terms. Uh, we might say to someone, have a good day, which is not a command that they make sure that they have a, a pleasant day, but rather it's a, it's a way of expressing our hope that their day goes well. Um, most of our blessings kind of follow this similar pattern. We say things like, good morning, or good night, or have a great time, or drive safe, or think about maybe recent holidays. We tell others, Merry Christmas, or Happy New Year. Why? Because our hearts are, are filled with the hope that that person's Christmas season or their new year is a joyful time. And all of these phrases are expressions of our desire for goodness to come to others or for happiness to fill their lives, and we use words in some way to sort of place that goodness on them, to bless them. A blessing in the Bible is similar to these things, but it's, it's more than just a vague wish for goodness or for happiness in the life of a person. In the words of one simple dictionary definition that I found, a blessing in the Bible is this. It's the invoking of God's favor on someone. The, the invoking of God's favor on someone. Which means it's not something like, I hope you have a really nice vacation, which is a blessing of sorts, but more something like, may God himself bring blessing into your life. Uh, 
And often in the scriptures, these kinds of things, these blessings, they come from someone who is in one way or another speaking for God, such as a, a priest or a prophet. Or we might even think about our benediction each week, which is a, a blessing that we pronounce. And someone stands here and speaks in some measure for God, pronouncing a blessing on those of us who have gathered in this place before we leave. So we're slowly getting at what we think about when we think about this idea of a blessing. And if you need one more way to help you think about what a blessing is, then consider its opposite, a curse. A curse is a wish for bad things to happen to someone. Do we have these in our popular culture? We do. You might think about um, maybe a breakup song that you've heard. And the singer uh, might curse the person who broke their heart. They say something like, I hope you never get another girlfriend, or probably something a lot worse than that, you know. They're wishing bad things on someone else. Well, the, the scriptures speak of curses coming actually from, from God himself. Right in the very beginning, after blessing uh, the Adam and Eve, we see that cursing comes into the world, and God himself curses the serpent. He places a curse on Eve and on all women, on Adam and all men, and these curses are curses that our world still lives under. Now, not surprisingly, none of us wants to be cursed by God. We want to be blessed by the Lord. And even, even more than, than wanting a good day for those that we love, we want those that we love to know the blessing of God. So the question that we are arriving at here is, can we know the blessing of God in our lives? And could we even bless others in the name of the Lord as we see in our passage? Well, we're still here at the beginning of a, a new year, and having heard uh, Trevor give us some wonderful focusing words found uh, based on uh, Moses' psalm in Psalm 90 last Sunday, I want us to actually consider the words of Numbers 6 that God gave to Moses, that Moses was then to give to his brother Aaron and the priests, so that the priests could then continually give these words of blessing to God's people. I want us to begin this year considering how we might know God's blessing and how we might pronounce that blessing over those that we love. And so to that end, let me state today's big idea like this. Receive and give the blessing that comes from God alone. Receive and give the blessing that comes from God alone. As we meditate on this blessing in Numbers 6, 22 to 27, my hope is that we are reminded that more than anything else, our hearts and the hearts of every, every human being is, are longing for the blessing of God. And I also want us to see how we might act as someone who seeks to point others to the fact that God's favor and God's presence are the greatest good that they could ever know. Receive and give the blessing that comes from God alone. With this in mind, let's hear these familiar and beautiful words from Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. God's word says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, 
and I will bless them. One of the first things that we might notice about this blessing, if we look at it, is actually how strange the context of it is. You probably turn in Numbers chapter 6, and if you're turning to Numbers chapter 6, you're just turning right to this passage, and we often don't look at what's around it, and why, is the, why are these verses here? Why is this blessing found in this particular place? So I want to talk about the context of these verses, which simply means the, the verses and the chapters and even the books that surround it. And in looking at the context, I want to highlight one thing, and we'll just say it like this, the growing nearness of God. I think the context of, this, of these verses is about the growing nearness of God. So we're obviously in the book of Numbers, which is the fourth book in the first five books of the Old Testament that are known as the Torah. And the stories in, in Genesis of the beginning of the world and the beginning of the Jewish people found in the accounts of Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. In those, we, we, find at, at the, we find these stories about beginnings. And then we find in Exodus that God's people, the, the people of Israel, are enslaved in Egypt. And we read through Exodus and we find that God delivers his people and brings them through the Red Sea to the foot of Mount Sinai where he gives Moses the law. Much of, of Exodus then is the record of this law, as is the book of Leviticus, which focuses especially on the Levites and on their role in leading the sacrifices and the feasts that would atone for the sins of the people and would celebrate God's goodness to them. So at the end of Exodus, though, we find the completion of the tabernacle, and we read these words in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. God's word says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. As we read that, we should be struck in some way by the fact that Moses is unable to enter the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where the people were supposed to meet with God. This was to be the place where God was found by his people, but Moses can't enter in because of God's presence. What's interesting then is as we, we read through the book of Leviticus and God lays out this way for his sinful people to be forgiven and to be able to approach him, we're then told in the first book, or the first verse of Numbers, the the book following Leviticus, we're told this, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. So after this, Moses is, is now in the tent. We find Moses is, is there speaking with God face to face just as he had done on the mountain. A way for God to be in and amongst his people has been established because of, of the law. And the tabernacle and the work of the Levites and the priests have, have made this all possible. Moses is no longer on Mount Sinai speaking to God, but rather he's in the tabernacle and he is speaking face to face with God. Now, all of this happened in, in the year that the Israelites spent at the foot of Mount Sinai. If you look through these, these chapters, you'll find they arrive at Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, and it's not until the middle of Numbers chapter 10 that they move from this spot. This is all one year in the history of Israel. In fact, having built the tabernacle and established the priesthood and the roles of the priests, these first 10 chapters of Numbers could actually be seen as preparations for Israel to make this move that they're going to make, to leave Sinai. The book begins with a census, which is where it gets its name from. 
Uh, and then also the organization of the camp of Israel. And as you read that, what we find is that the, the tabernacle is the, at the center of the camp and all of the tribes gather around with the, God's presence there in, in the center of his people. He's dwelling there. And even as they travel, the ark and the tabernacle and everything that, that's right at the middle of where the people are. So all of this organization is surrounding God's presence. And then in addition to all this organization in the book of Numbers, we find laws regarding purity, laws related to adultery or Nazarite vows or the consecration of the temple. And we take all this together and helps us to see the importance of God's presence amongst God's people and the need for his people to be holy if he is going to be in and amongst them. Often in ancient times, but today as well, the presence of a particular God was tied to a particular place. So if you wanted to seek the blessing of that God, then you needed to go to that place where he dwelt. So what's happening here is actually unique in that God has made it possible for him to travel with his people. His, his presence has become mobile. Of course, in Israel's history, they would eventually build a temple where God would be said to dwell. But at this point, we find that God's people can rejoice at his nearness to, to them and also at the fact that they can journey. They can, they can leave Mount Sinai in chapter 10. But when they leave Mount Sinai, they are not leaving the presence of God. Through the gift of the, the tabernacle and the ministry of the priests and the Levites, God is still amongst them, actually right at the center of their camp. Now, we're doing a lot of work here, but hopefully this is going to pay off in a little bit. We'll see in a moment why the context of this growing nearness of God is vital to understanding the blessing of, of number six. But for now, let's look a little bit more at, closely at the blessing it, itself, not just the, the context and we're going to see a lot about the structure of this blessing to start off with. We see in verses 22 and 23 that the blessing is given to Aaron and his sons, to the priests by Moses. The priests, again, acted as mediators between God and men and women. And here they are the ones who mediate blessing to the people. As we look at this blessing, it could be a blessing that was actually spoken every morning by the priests after the morning sacrifices. And even today, it's a a key blessing. In modern Jewish culture, it's a blessing that's spoken by parents over their children at the meal that begins the Sabbath celebration each week. The structure of the blessing is simple, but very intentional and beautiful. It, it builds to a crescendo in Hebrew. The first line has three words and 12 syllables. The second line has five words, 14 syllables. The third line has seven words and 16 syllables, all culminating in the announcement of shalom, of peace. If you add up all those words, you get a total of 15, and we find the covenant name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, repeated three times, which if you subtract that from that total of 15, you, you are left with 12 words, such that this blessing of Yahweh was coming to all 12 tribes of Israel. It was a, a blessing for the whole nation, for all the people of God. We could even look at this with New Testament eyes and wonder if the threefold repetition of God's name, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, is a foreshadowing of the Trinity that is revealed to us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit by whom we receive blessing. Uh, more structure is seen in how each line has the name of the Lord followed by a twofold proclamation. And so we're going to walk through each of these lines uh, and look at 
how the Lord blesses us in two different ways in each of these lines. We're a total of six different ways that he's going to, to bless us. Uh, and I'm not going to do these words the, dis, the disservice of trying to restate them in my own words. Uh, so our three main points are these three lines. I'm not going to try to say them any better because they can't be said any better. And actually what I want to do is I want to invite you as we walk through them to to say these words with me as a means of maybe memorizing this blessing, a first step in that direction. So I'll say each line as we, before we meditate on it and invite you to repeat it with me a couple times. And you see the first line there is, the Lord bless you and keep you. Can we say that together? The Lord bless you and keep you. Let's say it one more time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The name Lord here is in all caps, which is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. It's the name that was given to Moses at the burning bush, where God says, tell the people that I am has sent you. God is the eternally self-existent one. It's what we saw in Psalm 90, verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, he was and is God. And as the source of all life, he is also the source of all blessing. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, James says. And any good that any human being experience, experiences flows from God. We sang that God is the fount of every blessing. And no matter how goodness comes to you, no matter what route the, the, the trickle of blessing comes into your life, the ultimate fount of that blessing is God. He is the source of it all. But beyond the blessings we might see in our everyday life, the greatest goodness that that comes to us is actually found in the covenants that God has given. The covenant to bless Abraham and to increase his family of faith. The blessing to David that a king would always reign on his throne. And the new covenant blessing of Jeremiah that is our assurance of forgiveness this quarter. The hope of a new heart that's able to follow God's ways and brings the hope of forgiveness. So when Aaron would say to the people, the Lord, Yahweh, bless you, it wasn't, wasn't because they sneezed. As they prepared for this journey into the, the wilderness, it was a reminder that God would be with them and he would meet all of their physical needs and he would bless them. And as they rebelled and as they grumbled against the Lord, which happens very quickly in the book of Numbers, it was a reminder of the hope that's found in the promises made to Abraham and then the promise made to David and also the, the new covenant that we know is fulfilled by Jesus. So this then is a blessing that asks that God would give his people fruitfulness and security and forgiveness and holiness and so many other things would bless you and keep you as the second pronouncement that God would keep his people uh, the imagery of, of God as the great and good shepherd might come to mind as he keeps his his sheep he's the one who provides for and protects his people uh, Psalm 121 I think in many ways is a meditation on the idea of God as our keeper. You may remember that psalm where the psalmist looks up to the hills and wonders where his help will come from, just as the Israelites were probably daunted by the wilderness ahead of them, and just as we sometimes can be overcome by the trials and difficulties in life. And he answers his own question in the psalm. He says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then in the next six verses, he mentions the idea of God being a keeper or one who keeps him six times. So what does it mean for the Lord to keep us? It means what Psalm 121, 3 to 8 says. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If God is our keeper, it means that he is alert, that he is near, that he is active, that he is faithful, that we have nothing to fear because he keeps us. You might think of something or someone precious to you, something or someone that you want to keep safe. Kids, maybe you have a a treasure and you put it on the highest shelf that you can find so no one else can get to it, or you've got even a, a safe with a little lock where you keep that thing hidden. Maybe you think about someone that you love, a child's hand that you hold tightly, making sure that nothing can harm them. And when we receive this blessing through Christ, we trust that our God treats us in that way, that he wants to keep us and that he is able to keep us, that he's able to care for us, that he's able to protect us, that we, in fact, are invincible until God calls us to himself, and that even when death comes, our very souls are kept by God. The first line of this blessing is this. Say it with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the second line says this, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. A little bit longer, but we can do it. Ready? The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let's say it again. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord is the source of all blessing, and so he is the the one emphasized here. But the other word that's repeated in this blessing is the word face. The ESV translates it as countenance in the next line, but it's in fact the the same word. It's a common word in the Old Testament. From what I can tell, it's used over 2,100 times, but it's often translated in, in different ways, and many times it's translated with the word presence. The face or the the presence of God then means blessing, but for God to turn his face away from us or to drive us from his presence is a sign of his displeasure or even of his curse upon us. Hopefully some of that work that we did on the context of this blessing begins to pay off now as we we think about the longing for the the people of God had for God's presence among them. We might see why this blessing is here in this place where God's people are being instructed, being instructed on, on how to keep God's presence literally at the center of everything that they did. This longing for God's presence that we all have finds its roots actually all the way back into the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God. They stood in his presence. They stood before his face. with No sin and no shame. But then we read that after they sinned in Genesis 3, we're told in verse 8 that they hid from his presence. They hid from his face is the word. Sin increases then on the earth. And in the next chapter in Genesis 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. And he leaves the presence. He leaves the face of the Lord. And so the storyline of Scripture continues and it could be traced in in a longing for God's presence, but also in the fact that we foolishly run from it. We see the, character, uh, the characters of the Bible drawing near to God's face and then fleeing from him. 
And the message of the gospel can be seen in how God is always acting to bring his presence near to us and to deal with our sin so that his face might shine on us. That's the blessing there. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. You see, the the blessing of God's face here is not some sort of static presence among us, but rather it's the thought of his face shining on us. Of course, God is a spirit. God does not have a literal face. But he uses this, this idea here in the scriptures of a face because we know so well how our faces can communicate our emotions. Have you ever had someone give you a look of disgust or of anger or of, as we sometimes call it, the stink eye? On the other hand, have you ever had someone look at you and, and you know they love you? We speak sometimes of someone's face beaming. We think about, when we think about that, we might think about a bride or a groom on their wedding day or a parent filled with joy and delight in their child. They are beaming. And God, who is the great bridegroom, God, who is the perfect father, longs to let his face shine on us in favor and in delight. This blessing, therefore, asks that God's face would would beam on us with joy and with delight. The second line of, of this blessing also asks that God would be gracious to us. And in fact, the only way for God to allow his face to shine upon us is if he is gracious to us. To be gracious towards someone is to give them what they don't deserve, what they have not earned. It's, it, it's to show kindness and compassion to them with no expectation of payment or repayment. And so this blessing asks that God in his kindness would not gaze on our sin and judge us in the way that we deserve, but rather that he would show us grace, that he would be to us the God of that other great passage in, in, in the First, books, first few books of the Bible, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, that he would be the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. As we've already pointed out, the rest of the book of Numbers reveals the rebellion and the sinfulness of God's people, but it also, in doing that, shows the graciousness of God, that even in the midst of their wickedness, he graciously lets his face shine on them. That even in the story of Balaam, this pagan prophet who's sent to curse God's people, that all he could do was look down on their camp with God in the presence, in the, in the midst, God's presence in the midst of it, and all he could do was announce blessing on them even though they were sinful and terrible and probably down there fighting and arguing with each other. But God continues even to this day to be relentless in his blessings towards his people. He longs to let his face shine on us. Why? Because he's so gracious to us. Let's recap these first two lines of the blessing before we look at the third. I'll say them both together and then we'll say them all together, all right? This is what we're gonna repeat. The Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let's say it together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the third line, the Lord lift up his, the Lord lift up, let's say his face. It's the same word and so we'll keep it simple. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Would you say that? The Lord lift up his face upon you 
and give you peace. One more time. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Since his face is already shining on us, then why are we asking his face to be lifted up on us? Is this just redundant? We might say that it has to do with his face being turned, turned towards us. It may have the idea of God paying attention to us. The gods of the nations might be distracted or caught off guard. So we could be asking that God would not turn from us, but he would continually be ready to help us. We're kind of like children in that way, who are so often saying to their parents, look at me, pay attention to me, watch me, help me. And again, for the Israelites wandering in the desert, facing hunger and thirst and enemies, they would want God to be ever watchful over them. The psalmists, I think, pick up on this imagery, as we've already seen in some of the psalms that we read during our service. But just listen to one, uh, Psalm 27, verses 7 through 10. See if you don't hear what this blessing is asking for. We're asking that God would turn his face upon us, that he would turn his face to us, that that he would lift up his face upon us. Psalm 27. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. I think that helps us to see that for God to lift up his face upon us is for him to always be ready to help us. It's for him to never forsake us. And all of these blessings culminate in the final one. It's all pushing towards the request that that God would give us shalom, that he would give us peace. It's a word that has this idea of a sense of well-being and wholeness and completeness in every part of our lives. It brings a lack of worry, lack of fear, a lack of anxiety. It brings a calmness even in the midst of of the storm such that we're, we're like Jesus, asleep in the boat while the storm rages because we know that his presence is with us and so we have nothing to fear. We asked at the beginning if there was a way for us to know the blessing of God. I've hinted at it throughout this sermon, but I'd like to say it as clearly as possible now. God's blessing as described here in number six can only come to us through the person of Jesus. Jesus, who is God himself. This blessing, while it points to who God was for Israel in their day, is ultimately pointing to and fulfilled in Christ, who helps us to see who God is through faith in him. This is a gospel blessing that is ours because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember, God is the source of all blessings, and if we are to know the goodness of his nearness, it's going to be becomes, because he becomes near to us, not because we get near to him. And so that's why John tells us in his gospel that God sent Jesus into the world to dwell among us. You remember what that word actually says? To tabernacle among us, to be the tent of meeting among us. From the very beginning, the gospel message makes it clear that that we are not trying to get to God, but God is coming to us. And then we find in the cross that the way that God is going to bring blessing to us 
is by becoming a curse for us. So we sing how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. And then the next line, how great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. God turned his face away from the Son. But not only that, he turned his face back towards the Son, not in blessing, but so that he could pour out his wrath upon our sin that had been placed upon Jesus. All of the cursing that we deserve was taken upon Christ so that we might know blessing from God, so that we might sense the smile of God, so that we might here and now know the continual presence of God's Spirit with us that Christ has given us. And even the future hope that we have is found in this blessing. It's so that we might one day experience the blessing of the new kingdom that's spoken in Revelation 22.4. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. The idea of God's name is here as well, isn't it? It's found at the end of our passage where God says that in giving this blessing, the priests would put their name, they would put God's name onto the people of Israel. It would seem that that this had to do with with God's people being identified as the people of God, as those who are blessed by him, just as, as we who are in Christ are brought in and made God's people, we're made God's children, we're made joint heirs with Christ. That becomes our new identity, our new name. But it also reminds us that as we go through the world, we bear the name of God upon us, that we represent God. We stand apart as those who are uniquely blessed by him, that have his name on us, and so we are to represent him to the world, just as the priest did, because we are new covenant priests because of what Christ has done. We've arrived in some way back at our question of how we might receive and give this blessing to others, receive it ourselves and give it to others. And so we see that to receive this blessing is to receive the gospel, to receive the beauty of what Christ has done for us. It's to find in Jesus all of the blessing and the protection and the grace and the help and the peace that we are longing for. Jesus fulfills this for us. And so to give this blessing is to hope that others would receive the good news of Jesus as well. For them to find that Jesus alone is the one that can bring the blessing that they long for in their lives. If we speak this blessing over others, what we are doing in, the, in, the, in its most basic form is we are asking that God would draw them to Jesus and let them find that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things. And so let me try to bring this down to three very practical applications because <laughs> we've just sort of been meditating on the beauty of what this is. Let's, let me see if I can be practical. One would be to, to pray this blessing over our own hearts, that, that we would turn our minds to this blessing, but then turn our minds to Christ and see that he is the one who gives us everything that this verse is speaking about. I think this is something we can practice together during uh, our, our prayer time this afternoon, that we would think about how we could pray that God would bless us in the words of, these, of, of this benediction uh, in light of who Jesus is. 
Uh, my second encouragement would be to continue to look at the scriptures and find these themes there in, in this passage, from, from this passage, to find them throughout the scriptures, especially these themes of God's face and of God's presence. It's a extremely interesting and fruitful study to think about God's presence and to find where we see this blessing sort of continued out, especially in the Psalms as they speak a lot about God's face. I, I think if you've started a, um, a Bible reading plan, this would be a good theme to have in the back of your mind as you're reading through. What, what does the scripture say about God's presence? What does it say about his, his face and about uh, his blessing on us? And then third, I think it would be to bless others with these words. To be intentional about how we speak to others, especially those that are closest to us. What would it look like to pronounce this kind of a blessing over the people that we love? Or even people that we don't know too well. What would it look like to pronounce this blessing over your children every evening this year? To each night put them to bed with a longing for God to bless them in Christ. What might it look like to bless others that we know and love with these words? What might it look like to not simply um, say to someone, have a good day, but to speak words like, may the Lord bless you and keep you? It's going to sound a little awkward when you first say it. <laughs> and maybe we just say it to those that are closest to us, but maybe we expand that circle a little bit. Maybe you say to someone, may God's face shine on you today. We're not thinking that blessing comes from somewhere else or from within, but we're recognizing that blessing comes from God. And if we love others, we want them to, to know the blessing of God, and ultimately we want them to know Christ, that we would let our words be a continual witness to the fact that goodness only comes from our God and that God has blessed us fully and finally in Jesus. You don't have to guess what the benediction is going to be at the end of this service, do you? but maybe we could try to say it together, the whole thing, one time. You can cheat and look if you want. I've read, meditated this all, the, all week long, and I still keep wanting to look back down at it. I'm not a very good memorizer. Um, but maybe we could try to say this blessing together. Feel free to peek if you need to. I might do the same. Um, and we'll substitute, uh, Lord, lift up his face upon you in place of countenance. Uh, and give you peace. So just keep face the same. All right, let's say this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Want to say it one more time? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. May he do that for us this day and this year and all throughout the rest of our lives. Let's take a moment of silence and then I will close us in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that in him we know all these blessings. I pray if there's anyone here today who does not know the depth of blessing that comes from Christ, that they would find 
in you all of these wonderful gifts, they would find that what they're longing for most is your presence. What they're longing for and needing most is for your face to shine upon them and for your grace and for your protection and for your peace. Lord, would you let these words um, sink down into our hearts and our souls and change us through them. Help us to be those that bless others as well and bless them with great intention, recognizing that every good thing we have is from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.